witches. I'm Felicia. And I'm Holly. Join us as we embark on a journey to discover the ins and outs of witchcraft and what it means to be a witch in today's world. Grab your grimoires, your crystals, and a hot cup of tea, and let's get get spooky. So, So, Holly, how was your week? It was good. It was all right. I mean, I survived anyways. Yeah, you finished another chapter of school. Mm. That's something to celebrate. I'm feeling bad. I'm feeling bad. (laughs) Oh, friend. I feel very bad about it. (laughs) You'll get there. You'll get there. You just really need to crack down over these next like three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You'll get there. You always do, right? I always pull it off somehow. I don't (laughs) know how. I do not. (laughs) It's still a mystery to me. The procrastination gods are (laughs) forever in your favor. I don't get it. I do not get it. Like how I pull these things off. I I did it last year too with English. That's fair. I remember. (laughs) I definitely remember. At least this year, like there's only one paper to write English. I have three. There you go. (laughs) You only have the one paper this year? Uh Uh-huh. That's not bad. I only took one class this year. Why I procrastinated it to a month. It's a mystery to me, <laughs> truly. It's because you and I work the same. We work very well under pressure. Yeah. But we also cause pressure. Yeah. On yeah, ourselves. Yeah. yeah it's gives you that adrenaline. Yeah. Like that, like, hell yeah, I got this. I am. Oh, yeah. Adjusting your audio, are we? Because I have a boisterous voice. Yeah, that looks better. We're just every time, every, every episode, we're just, just getting, getting better. better. It's funny that you say that because my, my uncle released a podcast about a year ago okay so he released a podcast because he he's been on this like self-healing journey and he's trying to now help other men learn how to heal effectively and like deal with their emotions effectively okay yeah which is a wonderful thing because it's really true that like society does not allow men to have emotions the way that they should as humans so he's doing a really wonderful thing for for the men around him we were talking about it the other day and he was like, yeah, you're doing so well with your podcast and da da da. And we were like chatting and I was like, honestly, dude, like he's very similar to me in that he almost that perfectionist where he wants to make sure that everything is perfect before he like moves forward with a new episode. And I told yeah. him, I was like, dude, you just need to get yourself a Holly. Cause Holly was like, <laughs> fuck it. We're launching. And I was like, I'm not ready. <laughs> and we just figured it out on the way. And I just said to him, I said, no matter how much you plan, it's going to have growing pains. This is what I've learned. Yeah is that you're never going to outplan the growing pains because it's because you don't know you like you don't know what you don't know. Here's the thing. We are not professional podcasters. No, not yet. We, uh, <laughs> one day, maybe. <laughs> yeah. As it stands, we are amateurs. Yeah, amateurs. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yes. expect us to sound really, truly professional is out of reach. Like, yeah. I'm not going to put an amateur pianist on a piano and be like, yo, Play me some fucking Mozart. Beethoven. Yeah. Like, hit it up, motherfucker. Be a prodigy. It's not going to (laughs) happen. Flight of the the Bumblebee. Now. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. No, and that's it. But I just said it's, you know what, too? The thing is, it's kind of almost nice to go through those growing pains a little bit. Because you see how far you've come. (laughs) It's true. And like, like I was saying, you don't know what you don't know. Like, we didn't know about you know proper editing and we're learning and we're doing it and yeah so it's i don't know it's all just a learning curve and i was just telling him i was like dude just fucking throw yourself into it honestly because like i was where he was at six weeks ago yeah right when i was like i don't know dude and And you're like like, fuck it let's start october first (laughs) yeah that was like what september 20th yeah (laughs) Yeah. and you were like okay (laughs) 
That sounds like a good idea. <laughs> I, I've had to give up a lot of control in a way that I have not ever had to do in my whole life. And it was incredibly <laughs> uncomfortable. I won't lie to you. The first, the first few weeks, I was so uncomfortable with the whole situation. Uh, really? I feel great I now. I couldn't tell by asking me hundreds of times if you could help me with editing <laughs> from an hour away without the <laughs> equipment. <laughs> no you cannot (laughs) unless you want to fucking drive your ass out here and sit beside me physically cannot (laughs) i mean you're not wrong like at all i know and that's the thing is like but i'll say this like i have i've learned to just kind of go with it dude and like in situations like this when you're when you're like in a creative space like this, there's room for structure, but there's also room for just fucking winging it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. You can't, you can't make something creative without winging Letting. it at least a little bit. Yeah, no, that's just it. Exactly. hundred <laughs> percent. And, and everything I've done in my life has been so very structured and like my career is structured. My education is very structured. Like what I do for a living is very structured. So I've just like learned to kind of like cap that creativity portion of me. Yeah. Like put a lid on it and be like, no, no room for fucking winging it. You're very left side oriented. Like your brain is very left. I am very left brain. I'm very right brain. Together we make one whole brain. Uni brain. (laughs) Omni brain. (laughs) We are the one brain. We are together. (laughs) One One whole brain. (laughs) singularity we use one brain to a hundred percent good it's perfect yeah perfect all right well let's get into it yeah. um i uh i'll just put it out there i left my tarot deck at home so we're not doing it today my future is a mystery and that's just how i like it that's fair <laughs> we're gonna yeah we're both feeling good. We're doing good. Life's good. Everything's good. I'm fine. This is fine. You're fine. We're fine. <laughs> Everything will turn out just fine. Exactly. Can't right. wait for December 4th. <laughs> yeah. May the cards just lie where they may. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally fair. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> All right. So today I'm kind of taking a little bit of a different approach to the episode than what I normally have. So, okay, so I was like researching for this episode because I, I had a little bit of time to do some reach for research for the episode. And I was like, I'm still very interested in like the medieval and the middle age time period. And there's just so much like excellent content there, I think, for me yeah. that I was like, I'm not ready to leave that yet. So I was like doing some more research into some really interesting witch trials and some like all over Europe and it moving into like iceland and like the nordic countries and like just northern magic and i was like finding a lot of patterns and a lot of similarities and a lot of things and i was like what is fucking happening here like today i'm just gonna do a very broad overview of like medieval magic and i think like i I think yeah i think it'll explain why like you see so many patterns in a lot of these different like witch trials and thinking and ideology in Mm -hmm. all of these like separate countries within the same time period yeah like does that that make sense i'm i'm so into this like (laughs) as you know i am a very firm believer in like knowing the past in order to know the future kind of thing and yeah and uh learning about the past i think is super fucking dope agreed and 
the broad aspect of it all because i mean there's a lot of individual very specific things but this as a whole ideology yes needs to be basic understand like we need to have a basic understanding of it before we can dive deeper into it agreed like it's like having that foundation of a house before you can build the house exactly right yeah so i think when we were talking about the pendle witch trial and then we did baba yaga and like all of this stuff i was looking through and looking for i was just like man like there's so many similarities between countries like iceland and england and germany and france and italy and and the netherlands yes and i was like all of them you know call it european northern i was like why are why why am i seeing all of the same shit showing up yeah and i think it comes down to this so where i'm going to start is kind of the ideology behind medieval magic kind of puts you in the mind frame and i'm going to use two terms like medieval and middle ages so middle ages refers to like the time period so middle ages is like fifth century to like 18th century roughly okay Okay? and then medieval kind of refers to like concepts ideology people culture of the time okay if that makes sense yep i'm going to talk firstly about microcosm versus macrocosm microcosm and macrocosm are two aspects of a theory developed by ancient greek philosophers to describe human beings and their place in the universe these early thinkers viewed the individual human being as its own little world whose composition and structure corresponded to that of the universe oh Mm -hmm. cosmos at the time meant order in a general sense and implied that there was a harmonious arrangement of parts in any organic system. Oh, okay. Right? So whether it's a planet or the universe or a government or a society, cosmos kind of refer to that specific arrangement within any type of structure. So comparisons between society and the human being, as well as society and the universe, were varieties of microcosmic theory. Right? So how human society relates to a human being so how does society relate to the human versus how does society relate to the universe okay yeah Yeah. these analogies first came to be popularized in the mediterranean region during antiquity and later (laughs) throughout europe during the middle ages okay Um, the ideas were common during the renaissance and early modern times but lost their plausibility when a mechanistic model of the universe became dominant in the 17th and 18th century so basically what that's saying is when greece was kind of like the predominant idea or theory that had like followed through to different societies up until like the 18th century there was very much this idea that humans and the universe had a place with one another and we were interconnected and intertwined with one another okay then moving into the 18th century when the church and the state and the monarchy kind of took over and that christian rule kind of took over that's when the ideology that humans and the universe were interconnected kind of fell apart Mm. And there was that divide between the divine and human. Yeah. Right. So mm. there is a philosophical system called Hermeticism. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So it's a philosophical system that is primarily based on the teachings of Hermes. Okay. So a legendary Hellenistic combination of the Greek god Hermes and the Egyptian god Thoth. Thoth. These teachings were the basics for much of the magic that influenced human affairs during the medieval period. 
it sought to define the magical interactions between human and the divine or like a higher plane. So the teachings were a lot about how humans interacted with the gods and how the interactions we have with each other and the world around us is also how we interacted with the gods. So kind of like how you were talking about with like Egyptians. Yeah. When they would, you know, go to the temples and have sex with the women in the temples. Not Egyptians. That was Babylonians. Sorry, Babylonians. That's okay. Yeah. That's that's an easy mistake to make. (laughs) Yes. Because I... The same way the Babylonians, like in the temples, like you would have sex to kind of that interaction would be seen as divine. Yeah. And these theories, this like philosophical theory was what they used to explain that interaction. Oh, okay. Yes. So uh, the idea of interconnected microcosm and macrocosm dates back to the idea of what's called the great chain of being derived from Plato and later on fully developed by the Neoplatonians of the 3rd and 6th century. The great chain of being is an ideology in which everything is interconnected to one another. So it's like if you think of the world as a chain, Mm -hmm. everything from the gods all the way down to inanimate objects are connected to one another. Yes. With humans kind of being somewhere in the middle. No, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So this almost I, like the butterfly effect. Exactly. It's like everything's still connected. Everything is t- yeah. connected to each other. So, yeah, the great chain of being is how how magic flows through everything and divinity mm. th- flows through everything. Okay. Right. With gods being at the top of the chain and inanimate objects being at the bottom of the chain. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. This ideology is essential to the intellectual understanding of magic at the time. So this is how like the thinkers of the time and the the philo- the philosophes you know okay saw the world and saw magic and how humans were capable of harnessing magic since man was somehow linked to or like a small-scale replica of the universe then there should be repeating patterns between the two thus the idea that humans had the capacity to harness and wield magic the same way the gods did oh yeah so because we were all interconnected the magic that flows from the gods inherently (laughs) flows through us because men were seen as small-scale replicas of the universe yeah Yeah. that's really cool yes it's like trickle-down economics except (laughs) exactly except with magic (laughs) dude i got a raging heart on now (laughs) magic and economics i'm in (laughs) except this one actually works yeah Uh, So the concept of humankind having a fixed place in the universe was well established and reinforced by societal structure by time the 12th century rolled around. Okay. However, this ideology was challenged in the Renaissance when noblemen such as Italian philosopher Giovanni Pico della Mirandola suggest that humans had the hell of a name it is a hell of a name god damn it (laughs) yeah i know (laughs) trust me the amount of times i've said this man's name to try and make sure i get it right um too damn high (laughs) so he suggests that humans had the capacity to elevate themselves above the angels Ooh, right so his ideology so the reason that in the renaissance the whole ideology of the great chain of being was challenged in a sense was because he believed that humans had the capacity to like move up links on the chain. So if the gods were here and then angels were like subservient to the gods, he believed that humans could take their chain out and 
we could link in between climb that corporate ladder exactly yeah that, the divinity ladder yeah, the divinity ladder I like <laughs> yeah, it. right so human connection to the divine order of the universe endured these challenges in the renaissance with the creation of the virturian man by italian polymath leonardo da vinci everybody knows this the classic image of the man sprawled out in the circle by leonardo yes. da vinci one of his most famous works he was very big in continuing the idea of human connection to the divine so the picture represents a cornerstone of his attempt to relate man to nature from the britannia encyclopedia it says he believes that the workings of the human body to be an analogy for the workings of the universe and the hmm. picture was used to try and depict how humans could be seen as these small-scale replicas of the universe. Huh. Then again, in the 16th century, Sir Walter Rayleigh went even further with this concept and wrote comparing the hair from a human head to grass and our vein structures to that of rivers. Hmm. Right? So showing okay, yeah. that even in planetary construction, it's an analogy for the human body. Mm -hmm. So in the same way that our universe and our planet was built, our, our human form was built in the same way. Well, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a far stretch for the 16th century. <laughs> no, right? I don't think that's a far stretch at all. I don't think it's a coincidence either that, you know, I agree that the human body does mirror mother nature in many ways. It, right. Very so. much so. Right. And our bodies physiologically respond to nature. Yep. In recordable ways. Yep. It's incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Like even just the temperature changes and yeah. stuff, right? So. Right. Or you think about, you know, we suffer from it here up in the north, but seasonal depression. The it, big sad. Yeah. Because, well, because seriously, <laughs> we get light like, what, six hours a day sometimes? Yeah. If if you're up for all that time. And, yeah. You know, there's some people that work night shift that they just won't see the sun again until like may, may. <laughs> yeah <laughs> right <laughs> it's true i'm sorry well then you get the people up up north that like they actually won't see the sun again yeah for at least a full month a full month of no sun at all darkness full darkness yeah. right Fuck that oh. i know this ideology was also reflected um during the medieval time in astrology where parts of the human body corresponded with zodiac signs I could see that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then the last one I'm going to talk about, the last concept is um, it's called the four humors compared to the four elements. So the four humors or fluid substances of the human body were blood, yellow bile, black bile, and phlegm. Earth was represented by black bile, fire by yellow bile, water by phlegm, and air was associated with blood. I had never seen black bile this was kind of like the ideology surrounding the medieval era, right? So everything that people were, were doing up to a specific point in time, up until about, call it 16th, 17th century, was very integrated in this idea that humans were replica of the universe and that we were all interconnected. And you see it when we were talking about the Egyptians and the Babylonians and Sumerians. the Sumerians and everything, where magic was intertwined into their lives because... When we were talking about this in our previous episode, I was so interested how we went from having magic intertwined in our lives so deeply to literally being like burnt and prosecuted or, or yeah. right? prosecuted, prosecuted for, for practicing, practicing anything. Like anything. Yeah. And then nowadays you still have people that are 
afraid afraid to tell their friends or families that they are even interested Interested. in witchcraft or interested in spirituality or or even just interested in learning more about it and they're afraid of the repercussions from their family like how sad is that yeah so this is why i was like i feel like i really have to do a dive on how we went from this state to present state and this very much explains it so we went from believing that we were interconnected and that us the microcosm was you know a creation or a replica or interconnected with the the macrocosm which i think is such a beautiful idea that we all come come from one in that sense yeah do you know what i mean that was a huge portion of it so we moved from this ideology of being interconnected to this idea of god christ the church, the king, and nothing goes against it. Yeah. Humans have their very specific place. They don't move. God is divine. We are not. We sin and we either go to heaven or we go to hell. We must repent for our sins. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) that is one, one of the main reasons why you see the content coming out of this era almost predictable I want to say but everything is very similar right like as I was going through all these witch trials like all of these people had the same way of thinking and I was like how the fuck did we go from literally having temples and gods and like you know practicing uh, is it Hekka yeah yeah practicing Hekka and like invoking Hekka and like having it in every part of your life yeah like to to like go fuck yourself you're gonna die if we even suspect that you believe in any of this yeah exactly so the next part i want to talk about as well that i found really predominant in medieval magic was magical shapes and symbols so okay cool yeah so symbols and shapes have have been and always will be central to the physical practices of magic in all cultures so no matter what country you look in what time period you look in you will always find symbols and shapes that are integral to the practice, like the practice of whatever magic they're invoking. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. I'm sure you're going to give me an example. <laughs> I will. I will. So in many cases, their origin lies in Greek uh, philosophy. A lot of symbols okay. that are currently used and a lot of symbols that are invoked still today have origins that lie in greek philosophy are we talking like pentagrams or we are talking pentagrams i'll get into it deep here okay so (laughs) some examples are squares relating to the four directions north east south and west you'll see in a lot of different say talismans or protection spells or um drawings of different types of what are they called like druids Okay. Right? Yeah. There will be a square involved in it because it it, it associates with the direction oh. of, you know, the planet or the person or wherever wherever the spell needs to be cast. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Squares are really um, important. Again, the four humors relating to the elements mm-hmm. that we just talked about. So mm-hmm. uh, you'll see a lot to do with the el- like elemental reference. Yeah. And you then got, like the fire, earth. Air, air yep. wind, or no, air and wind are the same. Yeah. Water. Water. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. <Missing one. laughs> Shit. It's okay. It's going to be good. one of those days. It, it's all good. <laughs> and then lastly, 
another example is like geometry. So geometry has been used to relate the microcosm to the macrocosm. Oh. Right? So a lot you'll see a lot of very geometrical shapes that show how us as humans or even lower on the called the great chain of being yeah how it relates to that above it oh, okay right and a lot of sim like a lot of symbols that came out of the middle age time period yeah had a lot to do with geometrical shapes um, <laughs> okay so one of the most familiar symbols that relates to magic is the pentagram mm-hmm. So, which is the symbol I want to focus on here because, A, I feel like it's the most familiar symbol to those, no matter where you are in your understanding of magic, whether you know nothing about it, you're a, you know, a baby witch like us. Anyone can see a pentagram and know exactly like that relates to magic. Yes, correct. Yes. Or witchcraft in some way. Basic, most basic model of it. Exactly. So I kind of wanted to focus a little bit heavily on the pentagram. Also because the pentagram had such a significant pendulum swing in how people viewed it, especially in the medieval era. Yeah. Because in medieval times, the pentagram was like an occult symbol that became associated with Satan. That's one of the reasons I want to focus on it because it went from being a very like beautiful symbol mm-hmm. to being a symbol that was heavily associated with demonology satan. and satan and I satan worship satan. yeah and animal sacrifice and mm-hmm. like evil demo- uh, diabolical witchcraft you Going got back it to that, yeah that exactly <laughs> this was because in the 19th century a man named Ephelis levi perpetuated the idea that the pentagram pointing upwards was good while a pentagram pointing downwards was evil. Oh. Yes. Okay. So Levi was a French poet and author of more than 20 books about magic, alchemy, and occultism. Oh, so he like at least pretended to know his shit. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. But he pursued a career in the Catholic Church until after a great personal struggle at the age of 26 he abandoned the Roman Catholic priesthood so originally he was going to be a priest with the Catholic Church okay he had a significant struggle at the age of 26 and then abandoned priesthood with the Catholic Church and then pursued the study of witchcraft correct so okay I think he was probably, I mean, we're 27 and I know where I'm at at 27 and I'm like just learning about, you know, where I fit in to the macrocosm. Well, exactly. Right. (laughs) Right. So So I'm assuming like the quarter life crisis. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So at the age of 40, he started to profess a knowledge of the occult. So I think at at 40 years old was when he became like a fully realized ceremonial magician is what he called himself. Oh, that yeah. sounds fun. Yeah, so he a called him... A ceremonial magician. Yeah. I like the sound of that. Yeah, so that's what he <laughs> called himself. So between the ages of 26 and 40 was when he was like writing his books and his poems okay. and kind of becoming more right-brained. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> This must out of the brains. Get out of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's his history in the church that some believe led to the idea of the good and evil pentagram in being related to heaven and hell, right? So pointing well, up yeah, towards that, heaven was good. Okay. And the the point of the pentacle pointing down towards Satan, yeah. Lucifer, was bad. So 
a lot of people who study magic and the history of magic today believe that there was obviously some influence in his pre-existing knowledge of the There's church a little, little bias yeah right yeah just a skosh yeah exactly just right but they also have the the cross and the cross turns upside, uh, down. upside down when demons evil. present or evils are pre- present right exactly so yeah i think that's very reflective of the of one another kind of, yeah I, and again yeah. i think it's just a matter of like kind of how how the symbol points into the relation of heaven and hell yeah right up is heaven like we've always been told that up is heaven and down is hell mm-hmm, right exactly yeah so um many have traced the pentagram use all the way back to king solomon which is a very very long time ago oh yeah <laughs> yeah um but in places such as germany it has served as a symbol for a type of magic intended to turn away harm or evil influences as in deflecting misfortune or averting the evil eye. Oh. So places such as Germany, the pentagram has actually been used as almost like a like a protection ward, if you will, to oh. keep evil away. Okay. This is very much like kind of this ideology of up and down is very much like in European, I would say, yeah. culture. And when I say European, I'm talking French, Italian, English, Scottish. Yeah very very colonized way of thinking correct yes the pentagram was used in ancient times as a christian symbol for the five senses it's kind of strange this is the this is the weird part for me because it was a very positive symbol in christianity up to a point yeah which is strange okay so the pentagram was used as an in ancient times as a christian symbol for the five senses or the five wounds of christ Hmm. the pentagram plays an important symbolic role in the 14th century English poem, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, in which the symbol decorates the shield of the hero. Hmm. Right? So in this poem, all of the, the hero, Gawain, has the pentagram on his shield. And it's, again, it was the idea of like protection and that God was protecting him and that... That's cool. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. Me neither. Right? <laughs> so the unnamed what we're poet. here for yeah exactly so the, uh, we're getting learned today holly <laughs> i love it teach me things so the unnamed poet credits the symbol's origin to king solomon again and explains that each of the five interconnected points represents a virtue tied to the group of five gowan is perfect in his five senses has five fingers faithful to the five wounds of christ takes courage from the five joys that Mary had of Jesus and exemplifies the five virtues of knighthood, which are generosity, friendship, chastity, chivalry, and pity. Oh, right. Okay. So the pentagram was always used to show things in five. It was always representative of those, those Mm -hmm. things. Yeah. The North Rose Cathedral built in the 13th century exhibits a pentagram based motif in its windows. Yeah, crazy. So it's it, in this in this very Christian church are actually pentagrams in the motifs of the cathedral. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Right? So it was a very it was a symbol that was used heavily in in paganism and Christianity up to a point. Yeah. Right? Which is kind of strange to me because I was like how do you go from using it as like representative of the wounds of christ and the the joys of mary and uh, of having jesus and stuff and i was like and then you go to like full-blown satan worship i think it was (laughs) yeah i don't know how that happens it's a lot of i think just 
paranoia and well and, and insanity agreed right and then <laughs> in some sources it interprets the unusual downward pointing star as symbolizing the holy spirit descending on people right oh yeah so okay. originally like an inverted pentagram was seen as like the holy spirit descending versus when it was upright it was the five senses and the five yeah. wounds of christ and yeah. da, 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 right by the mid-19th century, a further distinction had developed amongst occultists regarding the pentagram's orientation. With a single point upwards, it depicted spirit presiding over the four elements of matter. It was essentially good. So it was oh. like the spirit and the four elements. Okay. Yeah. The spirit being the, the, the top point of the pentagram, and then each point after being one of the, the elements. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so, however, got, the okay. intru- influential writer Levi called it evil whenever the symbol appeared the other way up. It was said that a reversed pentagram with two points projecting upwards is a symbol of evil that attracts sinister forces because it overturns the proper order of things and demonstrates the triumph of matter over spirit. Oh. Yeah. So because okay. it was always spirit residing over elements, when it yeah. was inverted, it was like matter took over spirit. So it was almost like the idea that like your faith presided over everything else material in your yeah, existence. Exactly. And no. when inverted, it was almost like everything was out of balance. And now you had almost like lost your faith to materiality, which in Christian context is, you know, you're allowing for sin over mm-hmm. faith. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's putting spirituality first, right? Yeah. And then inverted spirituality last. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it also says that it's the goat of lust attacking the heavens with its horns. A sign, (laughs) you know, like how they use like the goat as like a symbol of Satan. Yeah. I've never even like put together the basic like shape of a goat. Yeah. A A pentagram. (laughs) I know. So it's called the flaming star. Which, when turned upside down, is the sign of the goat of black magic, hmm. whose head may be drawn in the star. The two horns at the top, the ears to the right and left, and the beard at the bottom. God damn it. <laughs> right? God damn it. Yeah. I hate that that makes sense to me. Yeah, I, I hate that I can see that. Like, Dude, when I was we- writing it, I was like, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. Like, I could definitely see, like that being like a constellation in the sky and it being like the goat because yep. it looks like a fucking goat yes not <laughs> so here's the thing this Fuck. is why this is why this was all so crazy to me because in previous episodes you remember when i i was talking about king james and how strangely paranoid he was and everything yeah. and i was like i don't understand how like a whole country of intellectuals could be this fucking dumb but then i was putting this all together and i was like dude this shit makes sense in a like, way, it yeah. makes sense it, in its own way. And like when there's <laughs> nothing disputing it. Yeah. Right. Like there's not a lot coming out that disputes it or goes against it. And not all of it is coming from the church. No, exactly. And it's, Some, I don't know. Right. You're just like, what the fuck? It makes sense. It's a testament to show that conspiracy theories go all the way back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the world's first conspiracy. Yeah. Right. So. <laughs> Yeah, it, it basically, it was a sign of fatality and, like, evil, black magic. Yeah. Inverted, it's the goat. When it's right side up, it's spirit residing over the elements. However, the unfortunate part about that is that the idea of the goat primarily took over. And yeah. because it was such a feared symbol, 
the kind of the good side of it kind of got lost to history and the stereotype of the pentagram being satanic and evil yeah kind of perpetuated forward well and i could kind of see how that happens because the pentagram being a goat is more of a literal depiction of a goat whereas the spirit residing over the four elements elements is is much more abstract and it's harder to kind of register in one's mind right well and think about it too like fear perpetuates faster than positivity you think about it this way okay like think about it like the news nowadays okay oh yeah so there's a lot of good shit that's going on in the world there is there's a lot of positivity going on in the world but it's just a lot fucking harder to find because it doesn't sell as well as well as fear well exactly right and this is kind of that version right of selling fear Because if you keep people afraid of the devil and the afterlife and like not going to heaven and not getting in with Jesus and God and the spirit and, you know, sinning and da da da, it's it's how it's how they kept people in line. Yeah, I was going to say people that are scared are are easier to control for the most part. Absolutely. Right. It's um, especially people that are scared and and trust the government like. Or the people who are leading them. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Like people that are scared and trust the monarchy. Yeah. Which was what was what it was back then. Yeah. They are much easier to control than it would be for people that aren't scared. Yeah. Free thinking. Like typically symbols that are scary stick better in your brain. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you know what yeah. I mean? That's why like fire trucks are like red and sirens are fucking loud and obnoxious and abrasive because it's like it's meant to get your attention it's meant to make you remember it's meant to like kind of shock you you know what i mean that's kind of my whole run through of the pentagram okay okay um the another important shape in magical history is circles so circles play a big big role in magical history i believe that they appear regularly both in alchemy and in practical magic in alchemy we find i don't know how to say this correctly but it's oroboros 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 which is a snake or a dragon swallowing its own tail yes yeah so i'm familiar yes so it's a symbol used to represent eternity yeah right everlasting okay or the the snake eating its tail is yeah goes forever yeah exactly so it's yeah. it's either depicted either as a snake or a dragon is yeah. most common in practical magic a circle was drawn around a magician before summoning demons or the dead yeah and the circle was used to protect the magician from whoever they were summoning's evil yeah these circles would also contain magical symbols and characters that usually had to do with some form of protection yeah so it'd usually be like a double circle and within the gap between the circle would be the different symbols or writings of protection yeah exactly witches were also often depicted as congregating in circles with one another when conducting spells or enchantments and this was used later on in propaganda to perpetuate the prosecution of magic basically oh okay yeah Yeah. so anytime that even if you look through i don't want to call it ancient but old pagan rituals it typically had to do with circles and dancing and incantations around a specific well even just like pillar of mm -hmm. well even just like i'm pulling on my past knowledge here but like Samhain part of the way that they would celebrate it was 
big bonfires in circles Correct. where they would grab hands and dance around it in yes. a circle. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is that circle circles in magic has always represented unity Connected. and eternity, yep. connectivity, yep. things like that. Right. So it even performing things within a circle has always been a very powerful, um, a powerful tool in practical magic. Exactly. So again, it was used in propaganda in witch trials later to come. Oh man. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, cause I know one of the things in witch trials was like looking for the witch's mark. Correct. That was a circle. That was a, the mark of a circle, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Get fucked. <laughs> Freckles, man. Freckles are I know. all fucking circles. I'd be dead. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, both of us are very freckly people <laughs> oh man I, I would i've got this one red one i should i have had looked at but like <laughs> if they found that they'd be like <laughs> fuck the bitch <laughs> <laughs> the fire for you yeah <laughs> it was thought that from the circle that was cast the magician or witch was able to build what was called a cone of power through incantation and dance Oh. Right. So again, when we were talking about like pagan rituals, as they were doing their incantations and their dancing, it was like forming a cone of power. Like a reverse tornado. Correct. Dope. Yeah. <laughs> right. Dope. Yeah. <laughs> this practice is still used today by modern magicians and practitioners of Wicca. So the circle in the incantation and dancing. Awesome. And creating the, the, the cone of power. I would like to do that one day. I agree. We should. <laughs> so in all of my readings... It was really clear that I'm just going to call people magicians because I feel like that covers all gender Um, or practitioners or practitioners. Yes, exactly. So it's very clear that magicians kind of take pleasure in deliberately using obscure symbols. (laughs) You don't say. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) because in some cases, these symbols seem to have origins in alchemy or astrology. In others, though, they're like pure invention. I believe right? that. And it's it's called um it relates to what's called the act of automatic writing or the embodiment of power. Okay. Right. I don't know all about automatic writing as well. <laughs> yeah. Tell me. <laughs> Tell me what you know. It's where you like connect to like the spirit world and you kind of like zone out and like you let like spirit control your body and like through you through your hand onto paper and correct that is the automatic writing correct and you go into like a bit of a trance and like you don't even know what you've written when you come out of it exactly so what people would do what practitioners and magicians would do is exactly that so it's called the embodiment of power yeah so what they would do is they would do either an incantation or a spell to invoke yeah whatever spirit it was or god it was yes yes, yes, and then they would allow the symbol to be created through them yeah and that's why different practitioners even within the same i don't want to call it religion but within the same practice would have different symbols for protection or for love or for so each practitioner you went to could have a totally different symbol it's all about the intention baby yes it's all about intent it's quite difficult to find some of the origin because a lot of it was done through embodiment of power automatic writing so they don't really have an origin the origin is the practitioner yeah well like, like i think you spoke about with the baba yaga episode it's a lot of verbal history Correct. passing it down right yes so. exactly so like even with the what were they called not wicked women 
cunning women. Yes. The yeah. cunning women, like we spoke about in the Pendle Witch trial, they would pass that down generation to generation of like healers. Exactly. And like yeah. they would say like, okay, this is something that worked for me. But then the practitioner would gain generational information and then also do automatic writing for themselves. Dope. Yeah. Cool. So I, is- I, like, I only know of automatic writing through like the more recent things that have happened. So. Yeah. So no, it, this predates, like this goes all the way back to like Northern, like Nordic. It's, cool. it's like most of its origins is actually in Icelandic staves, S-T-A-V-E-S. Cool. Yeah. So probably the best known of these is the Helm of Awe, which I'll show you the, oh, I'm okay. sure you recognize yes. it. Looks like a giant snowflake, but it's yeah. not. It's also what shape? A pentagram? No. A circle. A circle. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So kind of cool. A pentagram? Not really, <laughs> but you're there. definitely eight points <laughs> or yeah. six points. I, it, I didn't count. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. eight yeah. Okay. So an octogram. <laughs> an octogram. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The reason why a lot of like witches were persecuted and practitioners were persecuted because the whole idea of invoking spirit to then perform through you was a terrifying thought. Well, right? and, and it was demonic, vi- it, right? Exactly. Yeah. And and normally when it was also thought that only the clergy, so men of God could speak to God, could speak to God Fuck and God that. could only speak through them. And you had to like give your soul and your life in a very particular way in order for the divine to use you. Right. So it was not seen as like regular townsfolk were not capable of being used by God to then. So anybody who practiced this inherently had to be being channeled by demonic spirits or the dead or evil or Satan. That's I'm sorry. Yeah. That thought is so fucking dumb to me <laughs> i agree <laughs> because well isn't it written in the bible that one of the first prophets was a fucking sheep herder i'm pretty sure one of the first people god spoke to directly was like literally the i don't remember the name but the guy with the sheep i don't know some guy tended to a sheep yeah sheep guy he was well, the shepherd yeah right exactly <laughs> well and that's the thing exactly. the whole idea that you have to be of this like supreme divine nature to be spoken to by god was so absurd Probably the best known of these Icelandic staves is the the Helm of Awe. This well-known symbol grants its wearer protection. Some staves are used to protect crops, become successful, and even ward off illness. Same can be seen in the, the it's either Vivi or Veve um, drawings found in voodoo practice. Ooh. Yeah, so quite similar in that in, in voodoo practice. Well, so voodoo is usually like more of a Haitian thing. So with the, I would say Veve. Yeah. It's like, I think it's Veve. Yeah. The, the Veve drawings found in voodoo practice. Yeah. The staves power specifically lies in its creation of the symbol itself. Dope. Yeah. That's super cool. So a lot of the Icelandic uh, staves have, were created using that embodiment of power, automatic drawing. And that's where they actually drew their power from. It was said that like, a lot of practitioners had to create their own staves because it was the divine using them. So the the actual staves wouldn't be able to be used if not created through the divine. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So they, cool. their power was held in the actual practice of their creation. Yeah. Yeah. 
which is really, really interesting. Huh. Right. So that was like a fundamental piece of magic that was totally stripped away when, you know, the, this embodiment of power was seen as basically possession in the wow. medieval ages. That's really interesting. Yeah. And yeah, so, I could definitely see in the Middle Ages seeing automatic writing as possession. Yes. Yeah. She's been possessed. <laughs> he's been possessed. Like Satan's writing creepy drawings. Yeah. Right. That we have no fucking idea what they mean, no, what exactly. they stand for. They're trying to kill us. Yikes. Right. So from symbols, we kind of move into demonology, which I'm not going to go too far into because I think we've done a good job of covering it. And uh, demonology. Yeah. Very much just about like power and Satan yeah and witchcraft being inherently evil Ugh. yeah listen to episode three pendle witch trial we go into demonology quite <laughs> detailed there <laughs> we're just gonna skip over that yeah we don't need to talk about how the witches are evil yeah <sighs> they just want to be more connected to the world man yeah more, and like, nature yeah or at least i do Same. i want to be more connected to earth and and just to the to universe the that are unknown to us just yet yeah. you know like absolutely i i think that is dope as dope 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 <laughs> right i okay. say dope way too much <laughs> it's okay i say 100 percent all the goddamn time <laughs> drink if i say dope <laughs> drink if i say 100 percent 100 percent hundo p <laughs> dope <laughs> People imagine. are going to be drunk as fuck after listening to this podcast. Can you imagine? Oh. It would be a fun game. I'd play it. Should we? Yeah. Like, obviously not while we're recording, but while we're editing. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have to edit together then, because that would be fucking fun. Or are we just going to edit by ourselves and, like, text each other when we're drunk as fuck? Like, wow, we said that way too much. You need to take over. <laughs> yeah, um, I can't edit no more. In your first half an hour, I drank 32 shots. <laughs> There's two and a half hours of content left. I'm not going to make it. Good luck. Bye. <laughs> so. Oh, no. From, <laughs> right. Sorry. From demonology, we move into your least favorite part. The persecution of magic. Oh, yay. In the timeline. I get it, I guess. <laughs> Do you, though? <laughs> Do you? I understand it. I just don't like it. I just don't agree with it. <laughs> think they're a bunch of babies yeah. i agree so one of the main reasons magic was condemned was because those who practice it put themselves at risk of physical and spiritual assault from the demons they sought to control that was like the general i guess ideology of magic practitioners moving into the the latter half of the medieval times I mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I kind of get that mm -hmm. in a way that I refuse to ever look like be in the same room of a, like a Ouija board. Oh, fucking no. For, for the exact same reasons, though, yeah. right? Like, no, I don't, I don't want, fuck with that. I don't want to be controlled by something else or yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I get it. I get it. Do I agree with it? No. I think I just think it's too broad of an uh, idea to put on yeah. magic. Well, and to think that all magic was inherently demons. Yeah. It, when it wasn't. When it wasn't. Exactly. Right? Like, so. like we said, like even in previous episodes when we looked at it, when people were typically when people were invoking magic, it was the magic of the gods. Exactly. Right? It's not yeah. like, you know, I'm going to use Greek again because I 
I'm not great with the, <laughs> the names of all of the Egyptian gods, even though I tried my damnedest to fall <laughs> to remember them all. I, um, I got them locked up in here. Okay, so it's I'll great. say it and you say the the Egyptian counterpart. Okay? Probably, maybe. We'll see. So <laughs> Hades. Oh, so Hades would be Osiris. Yes, Osiris. Okay, so it's not like people were invoking the magic of Hades. No. They were invoking the magic of other gods. Yeah. Right? So again like this whole ideology of going from like invoking the magic of these like sacred divine gods to the invoking the magic of like the christian counterpart satan well and even if they were here's the thing with like hades osiris would they pray to them yeah sometimes if they were praying for safe passage into the afterlife for a loved one yeah you're not going to pray to the god of light or error for that you pray to the god of the dead yeah that's fair but then again the god of the dead wasn't inherently evil in those cultures exactly it was so it's very different yeah i find that it's very different so there was also not one in one no there it was wasn't. multiple exactly you've got things. all sorts especially in like egyptian there is all sorts that was kind of yeah like i said the general idea of why people like this whole switch in how magic was seen yeah kind of took that turn so the overarching concern of magical practices was the grievous harm it could do to others magic represented a huge threat to an age of widely professed belief in religion and holy power so those were like the three big things one they thought okay if you use magic you're gonna be used by the devil two you could cause serious harm to other people because if you're possessed by a demon then you're incapable of acting on your own accord. And three, it posed a massive threat to a huge group of people that would then be against religion and holy power. Hmm. Right? So those are the three main reasons. At least from what I understand, those were the three main reasons. There's just the fear of the unknown, I think, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. And I think, again, it's that threat. Mm-hmm. Right? The threat of power. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, especially God forbid you get power from the unknown. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So legislation against magic could be, um, one of two types, either by secular authorities or by the church. The penalties assigned by secular law typically included execution, but were more severe based on the impact of the magic as people were less concerned with the means of magic and more concerned with the effects to others. Basically what I'm saying there is like they were more concerned with the impacts that magic had on society versus the the means by which the magic was performed. Oh. Yeah. So they cared more about like, did you kill somebody? Did you like did you sacrifice an animal? Yeah. Did you throw a kid in a boiling pot of water? Like Did you hex someone? Yeah. They were yeah. So they were just by far more concerned about the impact of the magic rather than the practice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Its effect on others. Yeah, exactly. Right? So the penalties by the church often required penance for the sin of magic. Or in harsher cases, excommunication of the accused under the circumstances that the work of magic was a direct offense against God. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So the distinction between these punishments, secular versus the church, were not absolute as many of the in-laws enacted by both parties were derived from one another. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they were very intertwined. Even though they were supposed to be two separate pillars, they weren't. No. Right? 
it was kind of the case of like this one made this law so this one made a law that's kind of similar and back and forth i've always just assumed secular and the church were truly just one and the same kind of so <laughs> kind of they're not supposed to be but they are i've just assumed it was different names for the same thing <laughs> yeah king roger ii of sicily um punished the use of poisons by death whether natural or magical so just as an oh, example okay. of that secular and church yeah right additionally he procre- he proclaimed that love magic to be punishable regardless of if anyone got hurt or not so if they even found out that you perform the magic whether or not it actually hurt anybody it was punishable for just love magic yeah because love magic was never seen to harm people it just took away their free will it, exactly yeah that and, makes sense yeah and doing that was punishable and it should be yeah i agree think honestly even today agreed it should be yeah you shouldn't be taking away someone else's free will no agreed however secular rulers were still more concerned with the actual damage of the magic rather than the means of its infliction okay secular rulers really didn't almost didn't really care about the magic practice of it they just cared that people were getting hurt and then they were getting scared and then they were up you know basically up the ass of the king like oh my god blah, and they the kings <laughs> the, noble people do not like chaos in their no. people they just want everything to run smoothly so they just cared more about the damage that the magic caused rather than the fact that it was caused by magic yeah exactly whereas the church was the opposite because magic was an inherent threat to religion yeah yeah, yeah. it would be yep so especially um, if your religion doesn't incorporate magic into at it at all yeah right and the like, magic that it does incorporate <laughs> is evil yeah exactly yeah so. so some documents from this time period state that those accused of some types of sorcery were to be examined by the arch priest in hopes of prompting a confession oh so torture was used if necessary of course um and as the, per usual <laughs> per usual torture how um, else would they find out yeah and the accused were often sentenced to prison until they resolved due to penance for their sins so basically they would just torture them until they got a confession or just lock them away in prison until they just became you know and we talked about it in the pendle witch trials it's not like prison was a nice place to fucking be i hate this place <laughs> yeah, yeah i hate it here yeah <laughs> So important political figures were the most frequently known characters in the trials against magic, whether defendants, accusers, or victims. This was because high society trials were more likely to be recorded as opposed to trials involving ordinary townspeople and villagers. What? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Most of the documentation that we have are of political figures being either defendants, the accusers, or the victims because high society had the money to record yes, yeah, the yeah. trials. Absolutely. Yeah. And who cares about the peasants? Yeah, or basically. The, or the serfs or whatever, yeah. right? Like, exactly. who cares about them? They only care about the hierarchy. Exactly, yeah. That's, that's exactly it, is that you think about, like, a, a community courtroom wouldn't have the money that, say, the king's court had. Exactly. Or yeah. the lord's court had. The concept of magic was further developed in the high and late Middle Ages. The rise of legal commentaries and consultations during this time led to the inclusion of law in like university curriculums. Okay. Oh, that's good. So <laughs> this, well, mm, you might want to change that because you're not going to like the rest of this. <laughs> oh. 
this fueled law in university would be a good thing. (laughs) So this fueled a detailed reflection of the principles underlying the prosecution for magic. So, yes, they put law into university curriculums, but most of it was how to prosecute magic. Oh, well, fuck. Yeah. (laughs) God damn it. Yeah. (laughs) So the early 14th century brought about the principles of trials involving magic In this time, several individuals were charged with using magic against Pope John and the King of France. Oh. Yes. All right. These trials were only enhanced um, by the already growing concern about magic and thus perpetuated the increasing severity of punishments for such actions. So because all of a sudden magic was was being used in a harmful way against the Pope, yeah. Of the Roman Catholic Church and the King of France. Yeah. It perpetuated the severity of punishment for magic. Whereas before it could have just been like a fine or a slap on the wrist was now fully punishable by death. Uh, yeah. Get bent. I know. I know. <laughs> Fuck these guys. Yeah. So the increase in the trials in the late Middle Ages was also in part due to the shift from what's called accusation based trials where the accuser had to provide sufficient evidence to prove the guilt of the accused, which, fun fact, I'm going to add this in here, you'll like this. If the accuser failed to do so or did not have any proof, he or she would have to face the punishment that would have been assigned to the accused if they had been found guilty. So if I accused you of witchcraft and I couldn't prove that you did it, I would get your punishment. Well, that's good. At least there's that. But here's the thing. The parameters of which they had to prove it weren't weren't very difficult. Okay. So here's (laughs) the thing. The accusation-based trials are good. But the problem was is that we moved from accusation-based trials to inquisitorial procedures. And what inquisitorial procedures were, which is that it allowed the judges to undertake prosecution on their own initiative without consequence. I see. Yeah. So before people were less likely to point the finger for no reason, because if they couldn't prove it, then they they would get get punished for it. Now it was just solely based on the judge with Uh, no consequence to the judge if there was no proof. Man. Yeah, I know. It just gets worse. It just gets worse. It's all downhill from here. Oh, no. So it's been downhill (laughs) this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) So this made it easier for the accuser to secure conviction for sorcery and not have to worry about having any insufficient evidence, thus putting their own innocence at jeopardy. Huh. Right. Cool. So, yeah. Great. Yeah. So these types of proceedings led to interrogation that took many forms, including experiments with reflecting surfaces, invocation of demons, using human heads to obtain love or hatred, and many, many more. Those are just some fun examples. Using what for love and hatred? Sorry. A human head. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, so, but how? <laughs> I don't even know. So, like, <laughs> I, I'm i not quite sure. Uh, I didn't quite understand it, but I wanted to put it in here because I was like, what the fuck? I need some clarification. We could do some Google in here, but. <laughs> you human head for yeah. love. Or hatred. Yeah. Um, all, all of these factors <laughs> led to the rise of the witch trials in oh, Europe. So this has led me up to the point of where I did, I was searching for stuff to do my episode on. Okay. Right? Yeah. Because I really wanted to keep go- talking about the witch trials, but then all of this stuff prior to it. 
you gotta get it in there yeah you gotta explain the background exactly because i kept going through and i was like why like why did this happen why did the witch trials happen yeah like why was it so prevalent why like why did it continue to happen why did they hate witches so So much much? yes right because i because i i really loved your egyptian episode i loved it i had such a great time and i was like i was so back when magic was great yeah (laughs) exactly and i was just like it's such a beautiful like it sounds like such a beautiful society and that like magic was used in 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 conjunction with medicine and with like religion and spirituality and just like day-to-day life and like crops and then here i am over here like everybody was dying how did we get how <laughs> did we get here her, and yeah. then they hung her and then they drowned them and then they hung- <laughs> yeah. right. that's what i mean i was like how did we get here i tested to see if they were a witch or not by drowning them and if they survived drowning they were a witch <laughs> yeah but if they didn't oh fuck we drowned someone innocent whatever yeah <laughs> they're not gonna sue us now that they're dead <laughs> fuck off exactly it's so much i know i'm telling you this is what i mean so the 14th century had already brought about an increase of sorcery trials however the second and third quarters of the 15th century were known for the most dramatic uprising of trials involving witchcraft basically right where we started with the pendle witches is kind of like the kickoff especially in england yeah for witch trials oh yeah okay so that was again at the latter half of the 15th 16th century Mm -hmm. The trials developed into what they called a catch-all prosecution in which townspeople were encouraged to seek out as many suspects as possible. So again, like remember we were talking about the justice of the peace who just wanted to round up everybody and just throw them all away. The goal was no longer to seek justice against a single offender, but rather to purge the community of all transgressors. Uh Yeah. The term witchcraft had has multiple connotations all involving some type of like sorcery or magic yeah however by the late middle ages this term developed into someone who went beyond basic sorcery or magic and enacted in the in basically in the devil's league okay so it just went beyond like oh you know we want healthy crops to we're summoning demons so that that bitch down the streets husband dies yeah okay yeah. yeah 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 okay or even just like uh i don't know, have you seen that netflix movie beer street 1666 no not yet but i've heard good oh, things oh okay you can I tell me it won't ruin it for me go ahead like even in in that they there was a witch trial whatever right they the witch basically cursed the town so that okay. their family and their family's family like their generational yeah, yeah. family will have good luck and be prosperous and have power and basically fuck everyone else but yeah so basically but- <laughs> it's the same thing but their view was negative oh, okay yeah. yeah so you acted in the same league as the devil rather than just basic sorcery to get more wheat oh, okay and yeah. you know no droughts for the season or whatever Ooh get bent yeah so some preach that not only are the witches who work for the devil guilty but also all of those who fail to report the culprits were as guilty as the witches themselves so if i was a witch and you knew about it you're as guilty as i am fuck those people (laughs) i'm sorry but at this point you might as well just be a witch 
Just be a witch. Like everybody thinks you're one anyways. Just be a witch. Just be a witch. Yeah. Don't be a snitch. Be a witch. Yeah. So because of this, because this whole ideology around people who fail to report were as guilty as witches themselves, it led to an outbreak of accusations. Oh. Right. Imagine that. In so in fear of being accused themselves right yeah. so people were just accusing everybody because they didn't want to be accused yeah. of concealing which exactly you can't accuse me for knowing and not telling with because i told, you, I everybody. told you everything yeah, yeah. <laughs> basically tri- trials inspired more trials at yeah. this point of course yeah so it was just like a, a perpetual shitstorm. Human on human crime. Exactly. And this increase in the trials inspired the rise in the frequency of literature on witches right so as there were more trials there were more recordings and people were more interested and they were going to the trials and they were writing about witches and documenting witches thus this stereotype of the witch finally solidified in the late middle ages oh because there were so many trials and all of this literature was coming about out about witches and remember we were talking about like the demonology then there were the books about how to catch a witch and then there were like that book that came out that taught people how to build a trial against a witch right all of these things were coming out and there was so much literature around witches that the stereotype of the witch was finally created. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So numerous texts singled out women to be especially inclined to witchcraft. In the 14th and 15th centuries, women defendants outnumbered men two to one. Gross. Yeah. Yeah. The difference only became more pronounced in the following centuries. This disparity between women and men defendants was primarily due to the position women held in medieval society. Women in this era were far less trusted than men. They were presumably weak-minded and easily persuaded. They believed that because we were stupid, weak-minded, weak in general, that it was easier for Satan to take control of us. Oh. And thus magic and witchcraft being associated with satan we were seen as almost servants of satan huh yeah i told you it just gets worse i just i don't (laughs) like it i don't like yeah so general misogynistic stereotypes further encouraged their prosecutions um and then massive witch trials swept across europe in the second half of the 15th century Okay. Yeah. So in 1428, more than 100 people were burned for killing others, destroying crops, and working harm by means of magic. Good God. Yeah. In one year. How many? 100. Okay. Right? In 1428. There was a trial that provided the first evidence for the fully developed stereotype of a witch, including flight through the air, transforming humans into animals, eating babies, and invoking the devil. So that was like the four major stereotypes of a witch. We let me tell you, yeah. If I could fly, <laughs> girl, if I could fly, oh, <laughs> would be great because I fucking hate driving. <laughs> Life would just be so much better on a broom stri- <laughs> on a broomstick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because of everything that was going on in this like catch-all prosecution, this whole idea of like you no longer had to provide evidence for your accusations, like everything was just. Like I said, this like perpetual shitstorm. Yeah. And to top it all off, the unrestricted use of torture was now allowed. Torture as use of getting a confession from people was completely unrestricted. And in combination with the adoption of the inquisitorial procedures, as, de- as well as like the development of this witch stereotype and the rise in public suspicion ultimately caused the swelling 
and frequency of these sweeping witch hunts. Thanks. I hate it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which eventually found their way into the Americas during the Salem witch trials in or in 1692. Yep. Yeah. That's really kind of it for me on how we got to the point of witch trials. It's all bad. It is it's kind of all, all bad. bad. Yeah. Everything leading up to witch trials is bad. Yeah. It's all bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> but I really loved hearing about the shapes. Yeah. I like that a lot. You're welcome. <laughs> so I'm sad. I know. It's it's not good. It's not good. And I'm basically just going to cover witch trials for the next few episodes because there's some really interesting ones that I want to go through. Cool. So and then I will I... try to find some upbeat things for mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mine are not going to be good for a little while, but I think they're very important to understand where we came from and where we're going. Yeah. Coming, like, you got to know the history to know the future. Exactly. That's what I always say. Right? So ending on a high note, grimoires. Yeah, let's do Kay? it. Let's do it. So a grimoire, generally speaking, is a book of spells. So, um, however, in the 18th and 19th century, they were believed to be the book of a witch or a wizard consisting of a how-to guides on summoning and using demonic powers. Ooh. Ooh. So, two very famous grimoires are the Key of Solomon and the Lesser Key of Solomon. And they contained a variety of spells such as how to win love, how to make yourself invisible, and how to contact and control the dead. Ooh, yeah. These so, sound fun. Yeah. So they also contain practical information such as what type of clothes to wear and what instruments to use in practice. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I love the idea of just like ancient spell books. Yeah. Like, even some of them are very, very interesting. Yeah. Like, they now, again, like, I, I tried to do quite a bit of reading on grimoires, but it's quite difficult because. Again, like we talked about in like the Baba Yaga episode, like a lot of information was passed on orally for centuries. Yeah. Right. Or. And then the actual books that were written were almost hoarded as religious texts. Exactly. Especially like I know uh, with Egyptian culture, like the Book of the Dead, stuff like that. Yeah. That was not a magic book. That was a religious book. Yes. Right. But it contains magic well, yeah, and it's in like it. a piece of culture that is preserved. Exactly. Right? So yeah. it's not available for the use for everybody. No, right? and it's not just it's not just one thing. It's all yeah. sorts of things. It is, yeah. <laughs> so one thing that I, you know, I don't know if this is technically ending on a high note, but again, <laughs> due to like persecution of witchcraft in Middle Ages, many grimoires of magical healers and cunning women have been lost to history. Well, yeah, because you would destroy it. Yes. You, I, like if it were me. I would destroy it because that is just one thing that some nosy Nelly snooping around my house could find that. And then all of a sudden, that's all the proof they would ever need. Well, yeah. Right. And well, it's not even just that. But think about it. Like once a witch had been arrested, right, the sheriffs or whoever of of their communities would go in and they'd fucking seize everything. Yeah. Right. And And they're going to throw they're going to burn that book, destroy that book. You know what I mean? Like they'll use it to to prosecute you to prosecute you but then it is like they're not going to keep it no that doesn't they don't have evidence files they just melt they just burn that shit all right she's dead they probably they would probably burn it on the pyre with the witch burning (laughs) use that shit as kindling yeah it's a two for one like what do we need the evidence for now they're we're killing them anyways yeah like (laughs) it's not like she's not gonna be any acquittals here (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so it's 
<laughs> it's so sad though because like some of these books had fucking like generational knowledge and yeah. like not all of it lost. like keep in mind a lot of it too like i i wanted to go a little bit more into some stuff but i i think it was a bit heavy for this episode about like get into it next time yeah, yeah. Uh, so i hope you enjoyed this week's episode i did i think that was that was really really interesting cool i hope you learned something i learned so much my get, brain hurt you get schooled tonight i got schooled <laughs> i got schooled more tonight than i did all last week yeah. oh brutal <laughs> i will be like, better this week funny but not funny <laughs> but well i'm glad i'm glad you enjoyed it and i I think, yeah, for the next few episodes, at least on my side, I'm going to talk about some what I consider important witch trials. And I think, again, like I said, you have to kind of give credit where credit's due. And a lot of the trials that I'm going to talk about have some type of repercussion in modern day. Cool. Yeah. But I, I think I, to hearing about that. Yeah. Like I said, I was doing a bunch of research on these trials that have like influences in modern day. But like there were so many things that were the exact same. And I was like, we got to talk about this because like, yeah, you can't just do one and then do another one. Where it's like, and again, it's also because of this. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Now I can like got it out of the way. Yeah. And now we understand how we moved from happy dappy, you know magic in every yeah. aspect of life to yeah. the real magic house is gods the devil. of yeah there we went from real house gods of egypt to uh <laughs> fucking burning women at the stake yeah. for literally no reason demons demons yeah exactly <laughs> but <laughs> well we hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed it i enjoyed it a lot making it I mean, I'm a little tired from reading because I, I read a lot. <laughs> that was a lot of research that went into that, definitely. Yeah. I can tell. Yeah. So, um, but I appreciate you listening. <laughs> appreciate all of you guys listening. If you want to reach out to us, you can hit us up on our Instagram at whatupwitchespod, on our Facebook at whatupwitchespodcast, and Twitter at whatupwitchespodcast. Our Gmail is whatupwitchespodcast at gmail.com. And am I missing anything here, Holly? I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah. Uh, like, review, subscribe. Yes, please review. Please, um, please, please. Let us know how we're doing. Even if you have uh, some constructive criticism, criticism or even non-constructive criticism you just want to <laughs> hate, that's cool too. Email it to us yeah. though, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'd be nice. Yeah. <laughs> but we would love to know what we're doing wrong also what we're doing right yeah so that we can keep doing what what you like exactly and um share with your friends if you know somebody that you think might be interested in finding a little piece of spirituality or finding their own spirituality or or somewhere in their journey of spirituality or if you just think they'll find us funny yeah because uh <laughs> we might be a little biased but i think we're funny i like us a lot i chuckle ha, 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 ha. <laughs> i think i'm funny <laughs> you're so funny <laughs> But no, seriously, thank you guys so much for everything. We appreciate you. We appreciate you guys tuning in every week, listening to uh, two best friend weirdos rant about shit and stumble over names. Blah, 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 blah. Stum stumbling over names all over Dude, the man, place. Dude, man, like I said, that Giovanni, Diapita, I was like, fuck. <laughs> There's so many syllables. <laughs> Tooth, tooth, teeth, tooth. No, it looks like it should be tooth, but it's actually thouth. <laughs> but uh, yeah, love you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, 
Stay spooky. Bye. End the podcast.